Hi, my name is Rachel and I am the host of Things I Wish I'd Known. I decided to set up this podcast because A, I love talking, I love learning from people, I love conversation and B, there are so, so many things I wish I'd known in my past, so many things I wish I'd known about my mental health, about self-care, about magic, mystery, spirituality, about so many things that I know now, these crazy new breakthroughs in science, frequency, sound, all kinds of things that I'm now so passionate about that I wish I'd known. And I'm hoping that by sharing these conversations with you, I'm going to be able to maybe relieve some suffering, maybe share some laughs and share some knowledge. Some of it you may think is amazing, some of it won't resonate, and that's okay. But I really, really want to get this knowledge out there. So I hope you enjoy listening to things I wish I'd known. And welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel, the founder of Wealth of Wellbeing. Today, I am here with Damien Fogg, and we've had some technical issues. <laughs> this is actually <laughs> the third time that we're recording this, so fingers crossed, guys, that this actually comes out how, how we'd planned. Today, we're going to be talking about money. Damien is the author of The Money Shot, and he's also been tinkering with money for a long time, and he's pretty funny guy by all all means in his book so hopefully we'll be able to get some interesting details about money and we can give you some guys some good advice that you'll be able to take on board so Damien welcome thank you for coming today thanks for having me hopefully this third time in a row let's see if it works (laughs) so do you want to tell everyone how you got into finances and property I mean, I feel like at this point, you're bored of this story, let alone me, but <laughs> let's try it again. So my folks were business owners, so I kind of grew up talking about money and business and finance, things like that. So that led me on to doing a degree in business and finance, my first degree. And as part of that, we had to do like a trading module. So it was, I think it was foreign exchange, options, derivatives, things like that. So that kind of got me into the whole finance thing. That led me on to becoming qualified as a financial advisor, which I did for a very short period of time because mostly it was filling out forms. And the most depressing thing I've ever had to learn was actuarial tables, which is all about figuring out when everyone will be dead. What so is that, that put me off a little bit. What's an actuarial so it's basically, table? Actuarial tables are what insurances use to work out when most people are going to die so they can figure out how much money to pay you for different things. And so it's all about you know gender, age, family history, medical history, weight, height, blah, blah, blah. There's loads of things that go into it. And as part of the financial advising exams, you have to know not the ins and outs of it, but a fair amount about it. I was able to calculate everybody around me when they were going to be dead, which made me popular. (laughs) Good party trick. So I didn't last very long. (laughs) Yeah, no, right. So I didn't last very long doing that. But because of the trading I was doing, I did all right out of that, mostly through luck rather than skill. And I started buying properties at that point. That was the sort of Sarah Beanie era. So everybody and their wife thought they could become a property developer and flipper. I was one of those. So I'm like, yeah, I could do that for a living. But because I'm a bit of a nerd, I ended up going back to university and getting a master's degree and becoming a chartered building surveyor. And so I did that for a few years. And then I started to, because I was building up a property portfolio on my own, doing some flips, all that good stuff. 
I got into the position where I was able to basically retire quite early. So I was about 32 when I retired. And that's not to say I had an absolute crap ton of money at that point. I just built my life so that the investment income I was producing could pay for everything I needed to live. So I technically retired, which was nice. And then I started helping other people get into property investments and doing sort of strategy things, portfolio building, all that, which was good fun. But I found I was mostly working with rich people that wanted to be a little bit richer, which wasn't all that inspiring. So I had quite a lot of conversations with people around, well, I want to get into property, but I can't afford it right now. What can I do in the interim and how can I go about getting involved in it? So it was a series of lots of conversations that were all about the pre-investing in property. So how to manage your finances, how to start building up contingency funds, investing in general, that led me to writing the book in the first place. So, and that then kind of led on to, well, now I work more with people that are starting off on their finance investing journey. And it tends to be a bit more inspiring, a bit more entertaining. So that's what I do now. That's awesome. And it's nice, I don't know, I guess similar to my business in that sense that the helping people, it just feels so nice to be able to share knowledge that you've gathered and be able to help people to then, you know, get to where they want to go. And so I guess in different fields, we're kind of doing a similar thing, really. Yeah, one of one of my big things is to feel appreciated because I'm basically a child and need constant reminding that I'm lovely. So working with really rich people that I, well, I know what I'm doing, I'm already rich. Just give me a better return on my money. They didn't really care that much. I cared even less. Whereas at least when you're working with someone who's starting off who doesn't really know what they're doing, they tend to be a lot more appreciative and you can make a bigger impact on someone's life if they've got zero investments and after working with me for a bit they've started to invest or they know a bit more that tends to have a bigger impact on someone rather than when you were getting eight percent return now you're getting 12 percent return mm. they don't really care that much no <laughs> they just want a bit more so through all of this you've obviously had a background in business and and finances and that kind of thing so did it kind of come naturally to you or is it something that you've had to work at i think annoyingly it's come pretty naturally i've always been a numbers geek, mental arithmetic. So I do quite a lot of training as well. And I'm the sort of person that when I'm running, I'll be timing how long it takes me to do a certain distance. And then I'll try and mentally work out, well, how far would I run if I ran for another 45 minutes? And I'll start just doing mental math to kill time. So it's a bit weird. I accept I'm a little bit unusual in that sense. But the whole business and finance and investing, it was, I kind of grew up on the expectation that that would be what I end up doing. So I was the nerdy kid at like 12, 13 that was saying, well, I want to be a finance advisor when I grow up. Turns out I was. Turns out it was shit. <laughs> but they don't really give you those options at school, do they? No one says, oh, do you want to be a trader? Or well, not at the schools I went to. Yeah, no. I mean, which is probably a good thing because trading's pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. I noticed in your book, it was one of the ones where you were a bit like, just unless you want a job or you want to pay someone else yeah. to do it for you, just kind of steer clear. I think it's one of those things that it's a bit like property. Everybody assumes, well, I've bought a house. I live in a house. I must know what I'm doing. And I was definitely also guilty of that back in the day when I first started. You assume it's pretty straightforward. But it turns out doing it well and making a career out of it, making a living out of it is quite hard. It is. It's a job. People train years. I mean, my, to get chartered, it was basically six years worth of training and studying and all that sort of stuff. To be able to then walk around the house and say, well, because of X, Y, and Z, it's going to cost me this much to fix. Therefore, I can afford to pay this much for the property. There's still leave enough profit in it at the end. It was a lot of time and effort. 
you see a lot of people like, well, yeah, I work in a management consultancy, so I'm going to become a property developer now because I've seen a couple of episodes on TV. I think a lot of people just assume things like trading aren't going to give it a bash because it looks easy enough. And property investing are going to be quite easy. I mean, yes, it's not rocket science, but it's not as easy as a lot of people make out. And there's this whole lie about anybody that's been into property. Nobody wants to be the one that puts the hand up and says, yeah, I tried it. made an absolute loss on it. And you've made a mess of the whole thing. Nobody wants to be that person. So the only stories you ever hear are people that bought a house for 10 grand 20 years ago and then sold it for 4 million. And they're the smartest person in the world. Well, yeah, not really, because for every story like that you hear, there's probably at least another one of someone bought it, wasted all of their time and money, sold it for what they paid or less. Mm. But nobody talks about that. No, no one wants to brag about their losses, do they? (laughs) Yeah, no, not so much. (laughs) So in terms of money, I know for me, money's been quite an interesting subject. You know, I didn't really come from money or anything like that. And so it's been a real, you know, no one really talks about it, do they? And I think for... It's a a big taboo, isn't it, in the UK? It's weird, isn't it? It's like, actually, I think a lot of the time people would rather talk about sex or something, you know, even with their nan than they would about money. (laughs) It's like a real... I mean, we can divert the podcast conversations of that if you want, but... (laughs) That would be a good episode, actually. I don't know. I'm I'm probably too much of a prude for that episode, I think. (laughs) We should definitely turn this into the sex episode. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think, why do you think it is so difficult for people to kind of talk about money? I think it's possibly because we attach so much value to it that everybody's tied up in, because it's so binary, either yes, you do earn more than me, or no, you don't. And because we assign such value to it, it's like, well, therefore, you're better than me because you earn more money than me. Mm. And I think there's a bit of a, there's an awful lot of self-image tied up in money, finances. And even though no one's ever taught anything, if you're good with money, you're seen as quite intelligent. If you're bad with money, you're seen as a bit of a dumbass. So if you're someone that, you know, had to go bankrupt, there's a huge stigma around that in the UK. It's like, wow, you must be shit because you've managed to make a mess of your finances so badly that you had to go bankrupt. You're a bad person. Whereas if you look at places like Australia and America, it's, it's certainly nowhere near as big of a deal. And in some circles, it's seen as a good thing. It's like, well, wow, you took on a risk to try something that didn't work out. Well done you for taking that risk in the first place. I think we're just a little bit more miserable in the UK. It's just something people have never historically talked about. And yeah, I'm not entirely sure why. It was quite an open topic in my family growing up. I mean, when I was, well, I think my parents started their company, I must have been about 10, 11-ish. And so they were basically broke, taking loans out to pay, make payroll for one month and paying the loan back for the next five years. So they were taking big risks and didn't have much in the way of money then. Mm. But that whole excitement of working for yourself, everything relies on you. That's kind of what I grew up around. And then when the company started doing a bit better for them, it was then more a case of, well, okay, what do you do with money when you've got it? And that was when all the investment stuff came in. Mm. I think it's really interesting because I've, you know, historically been pretty bad, to be honest. Like I had a lot of debt and things like that in my past, which I've now pretty much got a handle on. I'm nearly out of debt, which is amazing. It was so good. And I'm, you know, starting to really get a handle on things, which is amazing because it's like, you st- I think also it's just getting older so you're getting older and you start thinking like oh my god actually hang on a sec if I want to retire I don't even know if I want to retire I, I assume I probably will at some point but I love what I do so 
that I might be able to do it forever, but it would be nice to have the option to retire, right? And you start thinking like, oh, hang on a sec. If I want to retire at this age and I'm this age and then I've only got so many years now to make up that money and I might live double that, that means I need to be making three times as much or whatever. And I always think my mum used to say to me, like, make sure you get a pension and make sure you do this or whatever. And you'd think, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever, mum. And now you're like, damn it. (laughs) maybe Maybe she had a point. But I think because people don't really talk about it, And because a lot of people don't understand it as well, because what I'm starting to understand is that actually even just putting a little bit, even if you're not earning very much, because when I set my business up, probably the same as anyone who's ever done it, there were months where it was like, I mean, you know, I'm literally scrimping and eating beans on toast every day or whatever. whatever, Well, my equivalent was rice, actually, rice and oats. But, you know, like whatever, you're just scrimp, like every single penny that you can scrimp back so that you can put into the business you do it and that makes you very start to become very savvy on the budget front and I think historically I've just been very like I get this salary I spend that salary I get the salary I spend the salary and I think a lot of people are in that kind of churn they're not really thinking about the future you know if you're a teenager and you've got your first job or you're in your early 20s and all you really want to do is like make sure you've got enough to go out and get drunk and go to parties or go on holiday or whatever you're not really thinking about retirement and that kind of thing at that age are you so what do you yeah. think would be I don't know what would be your advice I guess to you know people if if they're either like me you know in were in debt or are in debt or if they've kind of really not got a handle on their finances where do you even begin to unpick it so I'm basically going to turn this into an interview with you now So why did you say you've been historically quite bad with money? What makes you feel like you've been bad with money? Because I never saved any of it and I waxed it on really stupid stuff like cheap clothes that, you know, you'd wear once to a party or something. I spent a hell of a lot of money on parties and festivals, which I mean, you know, I've got the memories or not because half of it I don't remember. <laughs> but I had a good time, you know. I did. I had a good time and I could probably write a really good sort of rock and roll escort biography and make some money out of that. But it definitely wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really ever saving or thinking about the few, it was very much the, you know, I was probably practicing what I preach now, being in the present. <laughs> very much about the now. <laughs> Okay, no. So yeah, I yeah. I think most people, I think most people are quite similar. Without sounding too harsh, most people are dickheads. Yeah. So they nobody likes to think about the future because it's miles away. And yeah. yeah, everybody likes to fall back up. Yeah, but I could be hit by a bus. Well, yeah. If you don't, you're fucked. So maybe don't be crossing your fingers, hoping for a bus to hit you. That yeah. seems like a sensible life plan. So yeah, I think as you say. Starting sooner rather than later is always the best strategy. One of the things I'm doing at the moment is working with parents and getting them to start investing on behalf of their children. Uh, I've just got a goddaughter. I don't know if I do. I get a goddaughter. Someone, someone like trusted you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It doesn't show good judgment from the parents so far, but. <laughs> Well, yeah, so whatever term it is for having a new goddaughter, but we've now set up like an investment thing for her so that, and it's, you know, I think it's something like 20 quid a month, something like that, but we've worked it all out. And if, if things carry on as they should do and projections and all that stuff, 
she'll retire with about two million pounds as a pension wow. pot. And that's never having to increase that payment of 20 quid a month. And it's just the fact that she's starting from, I think she's 10 months old. Yeah, yeah I think it was a 10 month birthday. The other day. Pretty early Whatever. for your first uh, investment portfolio, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and that's what happens when you've got me as a godfather. <gasps> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a microphone that worked, I'd drop it, but I don't. So I don't, don't want to drop my phone. Don't drop your phone. <laughs> so no, I think so. I think from that point of view, the earlier you start, the better. Yeah. Because as you say, the later it is that you start, it's then like, oh crap, I need to save four grand a month to just be able to retire on one pound fifty a month. So I really, I've got a lot of catching up to do. So yeah. that is quite hard. I think. The biggest part and one of the reasons why I did the book and all that stuff is there's just a complete lack of education around the topics. Everyone's frightened of investing. Our whole generation just thinks people can't be trusted. So we don't trust mm. governments for a start. We don't trust bankers. We don't trust the big institutions. And like you say, most of us in the entrepreneurial space are thinking, well, I probably just will never retire. I'll always carry on working. Because what we do is it's quite easy. It's not like having to go to work and stack shelves or plough a field or anything stupid like that. So we have got that opportunity to carry on working past 65 or whatever. And so there's, I think there's a lot of different things that have come together for our generation to be the one that's a little bit stuffed. And we're kind of relying on our parents, the generation before, to die without having spent all of our inheritance. Mm. because that's probably one of the only ways a lot of people are going to have enough to be able to retire on which is a bit depressing yeah and also you don't ever want to think about that either do you you know the fact no and it it is that whole future you nobody wants to picture that person but I think if you can get into the habit of thinking well yeah I'm going to save 10% of anything I earn ever then when you're 20 and you get your first job 10% it's not that much because you're not earning that much when you get a pay rise, though, I think what would be sensible, and pretty much nobody will ever do it, but what would be sensible is if you get a pay rise of whatever percent, taking, say, 25% of that increase and automatically putting that into an investment or even 50%, because you're not going to miss it because you've never had it before. Mm. I think the problem is, the reason why I call most people dickheads is because they work out how much they get each month and then they try and spend that much. Because yeah. you can't take it with you and, you know, better spend it now. What if I get hit by a bus? All that sort of stuff. People have, we've lost our ability to plan for the future and delay gratification a little bit. I'm sounding right preachy now, aren't I? That no, I, agree. I actually agree. I think because credit cards and things like that, that's how I got into debt, basically, was on, on credit cards and things like that. Yeah. Because you could just have... You want something you want right now, so. so you go get it. Do you want to go on holiday? Do you want to say no to that holiday, or you want to go on holiday? Well, I want to go on holiday. Right, fine. I'll just put it on my credit card. I'll worry about it later. And then, do you want to go to that festival? Hell yeah! I'll just put I'll put four tickets on my credit card. You pay me back later, and then we'll worry about it later. And everything was worry about it later until you go. Oh my god, yeah. I've got all my students now. It's time to worry. And like fifteen grand or whatever, you know, on credit cards or whatever, and you start going. Ooh. And then I did do what you said that no one would do and I got a pay rise at work a relatively significant one actually when I got headhunted for this job and I literally the whole pay rise I paid off my debt every month the whole lot I didn't I didn't dip into it at all I just got really really strict with myself really disciplined with myself and I think really there is a level of that and I think it's quite interesting the the similarities between 
kind of my spiritual practices now my money practice in terms of a lot of it is just self-discipline it's boring you know do I want to sit and meditate every day no I don't do I do I want to take a percentage of what I earn and put it into various different savings accounts and ISAs and whatever not particularly but is that the more sensible thing to do (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) and it's like actually building that that discipline with yourself and realizing that a little bit over time will go a long way because I think a lot of people think what's the point in saving if you can only save say 20 pounds a month like you're saying for your goddaughter what's the point it's only 20 quid but what you don't realize is that 20 quid in 60 years (laughs) you know or 30 years do you know what I mean will be worth quite a lot of money because of interest and everything else so it's again I think it's the education yeah and I think a lot of people just rely on well, okay, I'll save money then. I'll just put it into a savings account, which is better than nothing, I suppose. Mm. But most savings accounts, I mean, the interest rates you get on them are awful anyway. But historically, they're usually pretty awful. And the whole inflation thing, without getting too boring about that, but basically each year, if inflation's rising, the amount of money you've got buys less and less each year. So if you're just saving £1,000 a year or £10,000 a year, at the end of that year, it's only like you've got 9,500 instead of 10,000. And so people end up sprinting faster and faster and faster to stay where they already are. Mm-hmm. It's only by using different investments that you can get a better return than inflation that you actually see any growth from it. So as you say, any, it's hard working with entrepreneurs because they see things in terms of, well, you know, I set up my business and it cost me a thousand pounds and now I make 50,000 a year. Or I can put two grand into Facebook ads and I'll get five grand back. Investing in the traditional route, you're never going to get anywhere near those sorts of returns. So it sounds very boring. And it's like, if you're lucky, you might get 10% return a year. And when you start projecting them out, as you say, the first 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it's like, wow, why bother? It's not even worth it. I may as well just work a little bit harder and get the extra £400 it would turn into. Mm. But you eventually, and it is around year 20, 25, something like that, you start that whole hockey curve up. And then it just goes batshit crazy. And that's when you get, so each year you can delay it, your money is effectively like going up by 40, 50%. Seemingly. Yeah. So it just keeps on going up and up and up. The whole compound interest, it's pound cost averaging, it's all these different strategies and portfolio theories that start kicking in that make a huge difference. You may have lost a handful of people listening right now, but all it means really is the earlier you start and the longer you can do it for, the better. So where would you suggest for people to start? Like if, you, if you've literally, you've never been taught anything about money, you don't know, you know, any, you've literally got no clue where to start. What would you say to people who are in that position? I mean, Google is your friend. If you're putting anything to do with like, how do I manage money? Google will tell you. There's a whole bunch of websites out there, blogs out there, mine's one of them, that will give you some sort of idea what to do. My book, like, what, how much is my book? Fiverr, tenner, depending if you want to listen to it or read it, it was, or whatever. I think it was eight ninety nine. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something like that. That kind of ballpark. Bargain. But that, yeah, I think so. Well, well, you tell me, would that be a good place to start if you had no idea what you were doing? I do think so. I mean, where I started then was, yours is probably the fourth book I've got. So I bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I yeah. read that. I can't remember the guy's name who wrote it. Robert really, Kiyosaki. That's it. He's very, I was like, oh, come on, he's really famous. Everyone knows who he is. <laughs> Sorry, Robert. I just call him dad. <laughs> yeah. 
so I read that that was interesting and then I bought a book on trading (laughs) which after I read it I was like I don't I'm definitely not qualified I don't want to do this the naked Naked trader and then I bought Profit First for my business by Michael McCallowitz, I think. If you Google, Mike, high, yeah. if you Google Mike Motorbike, it comes up. And if you run a business, I highly recommend his book. That was brilliant. And then I've read your book. I've not read that Profit First, but my understanding is it's basically the first thing you pay is your profit, your bottom line. Yeah. And it's mad. Is that it in a nutshell? Pretty much, but it's like, it's very percentage-based. So essentially you have, I think it's seven or eight accounts and you split everything by percentage, but you always take your profit first, even if it's a pound. So even the times when I was literally scrabbling around and I wasn't sure I could make my rent, I still yeah. would put a pound in my profit account. And he says it's a mindset thing. And it, it does, because then suddenly you've got a profitable business, even if it's yeah. only profitable by a pound it's profitable and you but I mean I won't go into this the whole podcast in itself but you know you you basically go through this process similar to what it says in your book of a massive scary big spreadsheet of like this is where you're actually at and I think there's a lot of that as well of people burying their head in the sand and thinking oh it'll be all right it'll be all right something will change but it it won't you know if you keep doing the same thing it's going to stay the same so there's a a bit of a reality check at the beginning that's a bit scary and it kind of shows you exactly what you need to be bringing in in order to to have that output that you need for the business and things like that and then really it's just percentages and the percentages change over time obviously as your income increases your your percentages will change to what you need in each pot so there's a pot for profit tax opex operating expenses owners costs so you know what you're going to take from to pay your rent and all that kind of stuff um and then savings for various things which i've actually split out i've gone a bit anal on it (laughs) i've gone into like (laughs) i've got my pot for health my pot for like you know so i've got pots for everything now so that i can you know if i just want to go and i don't know get back massage or get my teeth done or something if there's enough in in my health account then i'll just get it done but if i if i don't then i won't kind of thing so i'm just i'm much more disciplined and much more this is really hard for me because i'm you know they do that that thing with kids where they say like oh you can have a marshmallow or you can if you wait you can have the bag i'm the kind of person that would eat the marshmallow and then try and blag the bag somehow (laughs) 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 i try and like sneakily somehow get the whole bag anyway (laughs) so trying to build discipline with that sort of personality is is a bit difficult but it's working you know having that structure actually starts to feel nice it is a bit scary at the beginning when you have to look at where you're at but then over time now i'm you know i'm sort of two years into this process I'm like wow I'm actually starting to see things shift quite dramatically you know and it's like oh I'm not quite at that investment level yet but we'll you know give me give me another year we'll be there but it's then then it becomes yeah. exciting well, yeah. so I think out of those books then the yeah, don't the trading one don't bother with I think is it Robbie Burns or don't, yeah I think don't the guy I mean unless one. you're actually a trader don't bother I was like I'll read that book and then I'm gonna just like wing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even if, if you're a trader you won't want that book because you'll know more than that and if you want to get into trading there's <laughs> worse books to start with it's a good book i quite like it but yeah just don't the rich dad poor dad one is a good one if you're trying to figure out should i be self-employed or just be an employer it kind of takes 
a massive overview of investment because he does his whole quadrant thing, doesn't he, with mm. self-employed and employed and businesses and all that stuff. So it's good to have an overview of all that. The Profit First one, I mean, Profit First, from the sound of it, is quite similar to mine. Obviously, he focuses more on businesses, mine yeah, more on is, personal finance. It but it's, yeah, it's very much that thing of start paying yourself, your future self. That's the mm-hmm. first thing you need to budget for. Yeah. I'm a little bit more pragmatic in that the first thing I think you should budget for is somewhere to live and something to eat. But after that, then start paying for your future self. So I think, obviously, I think my book's the best place to start. Yeah, it is a good book. I like it as well because it's quite lighthearted. It's not, it doesn't bog you down in too much detail and it's quite clear about, you know, where it's quite a clear, you can see, okay, if I do X, Y, Z, then that's going to be the outcome. And it yeah. gives you options. It's not like you need to do this. It's like, here's some different options. Some of these might work, but you need to ultimately make that decision for yourself. And that's it. It's written in a, in a linear sort of format that you can start at the beginning. And there's no, I think I even say at one point, don't even bother skipping ahead. Because if you haven't nailed the first like part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good bit. I feel like you should just read the book to the group now. I could just read it out, couldn't I? But I'm dyslexic as well, so reading out loud is actually quite <laughs> traumatic. Thought. That could be entertaining as well. It could be entertaining, right? Close. That's the cool. Well, yeah, it's, it's written in a way that ideally you follow it chapter by chapter and you don't move on to the next one until you've nailed the previous one because they yeah. all just start stacking on top of each other and you start getting like an exponential return by adding these things on top of each other. Yeah, completely. I like the fact that you use the word dickhead quite a lot in your book as well. <laughs> I mean, have you probably noticed I do just in general. <laughs> oh, I can't find the bit now. But it's, it's good the way that you go to one point and then you've, and that's where I'm at. So I have actually read the whole thing, but I'm not doing... I mean, I'll let you off for reading the whole thing, but yeah, you've got to work I'm not through act- it. I'm not, actioning, I'm not actioning part two yet because I'm still building part one and I think that is actually I mean it's the same as anything isn't it really it's one step at one step at a time but I think yeah there's no point in trying to sprint before you've even started crawling no people that are broke or have got massive amounts of debt probably shouldn't start trying to do things like trading and investing if they're still spending more money each month than they've got coming in it's, it's just a recipe for disaster and mm-hmm. so as boring as it is and most things in life are pretty boring but if you want to succeed with it, as you say, a bit like meditation every day, it's doing something that you don't necessarily want to do every day, but that's what's going to end up coming back and giving you that huge benefit in the future. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So go on, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to, you've, sort of, you've sort of answered it, actually. You must have been in tune. Because I was going to say, like, if you're in debt, do you think the best thing to do is just pay the debt off first? Or would it be better to pay your minimum and start to invest so that you can maybe pay off more later? Or would that not really no. work? Always clear your debts first. So there's, I talk about it in, with, in terms of good debt and bad debt. Mm. Basically, it equates to expensive debt and cheap debt. So yeah. if you've got a credit card, let's say, of £15,000, because you said that before, if you're getting charged interest of 19%, 29%, that's a fairly standard credit card interest rate. Mm. It can be a lot higher. Obviously, you can sometimes get them lower. But every time you pay down some of that debt, it's the equivalent of getting 19 or 29% return on your money. Whereas if you were like, well, no bollocks to it, I'll just invest, I'll put 50 quid in towards that and then I'll invest the 500 pounds I could be overpaying it in the hope I'll invest it somewhere else. You're going to have to try pretty hard to get a 
19, 29% return on any investment that isn't massively risky. And so paying down expensive debt is a guaranteed high rate of return on the money that you spend. So I think for most people, I think I did a blog about it the other day, most people, if you've got really expensive debt like that, if you can consolidate it to get it down to a 0% deal or a lot cheaper interest rate, then cool, do that. But you're probably better off getting rid of expensive debt as soon as possible as a bit of an emergency type plan and then start building off your contingency fund. Some people will want a contingency fund of some description. Like I usually talk about three to 12 months worth of expenditure mm-hmm. as your contingency fund. And that's very much a, a risk dependent thing and how, how fluid your income might be depending on how long you want. But before you go for that, some people might just want, well, I just want £500 cash in a savings account in case the boiler breaks, the car breaks down, the MOT comes around, something like that. So it's not the full contingency amount and they've still got credit card debt, but at least they've got some cash savings somewhere. It's a psychological benefit more than a purely mathematical financial one, but that works for some people. I like the way that you spoke about that actually and saying how, you know, looking at the return as that percentage, because, you know, the likelihood of getting a 29% or 25% return on an investment is pretty slim. But that is essentially yeah. what you're getting, isn't it, when you pay when you pay that yeah. off. And I think that reframe is really useful for people because you're you're not looking at you're not normally looking at debt in that way. That actually if you pay it off you're you're getting that return on on that money. And then yeah. why would you start So when you look at things like mortgages, because there's so much cheaper debt, then it becomes a slightly different question then. It's more of a psychological benefit to have a house with no mortgage on it mm. rather than you know you, you arguably you could refinance all of your money out of your house go and invest it and potentially get a better rate of return so long term from a financial point of view you could be better off doing that probably wouldn't recommend doing that and this is an advice <laughs> yeah but uh, you know that that was a slightly different equation to work out as opposed to expensive credit card debt or loans or anything like that so mm. it's all about looking at the risk and the reward and the returns and sort of balancing what makes men, what makes most sense financially as well as for you personally. Yeah. So what do you wish you'd known about money before you got all savvy at 12? <laughs> <laughs> well, before that 12, I wish I could count for more than 12. <laughs> that you wish you started at 10 months. <laughs> yeah, basically. No, I think I, I was like everybody when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, all that. And I'd, I'd fall for all of the get rich quick schemes. So I used to go to some of the like property seminars, buy the low market value, all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, piece of this. I'm going to be a millionaire in the next four minutes. So I think <laughs> what I would, I'd known earlier is that's never going to happen. And actually, if you just start something really slow, boring and sensible, you'll probably be better off in the long run. Mm. So when I first started, I was doing pretty high risk trading. And as I say, mostly it was luck that sort of favoured me at the time. And so I did quite well. I turned a, a small sum of money into quite a large sum of money, enough for me to build a property portfolio quite quickly. And, you know, okay, there was a degree of skill in that I knew which buttons to push and which websites to log on to. But if I'm being honest, knowing if something was about to go up in value or down in value, it was a guess. I thought if I had a system that would all make it all make sense and it was a perfect system that could never go wrong, Looking back, it wasn't. It was just me being like, yeah, that might happen. Try that. <laughs> so I wish I'd known back then to at least start that whole, well, okay, I'll just put 25% of my incomings 
into a long-term tracker fund or something like that and just ignore it, leave it, set it to one side and don't care that, oh crap, the markets have crashed in 2001, they've crashed in 2007, eight. doesn't matter. It just means I can now buy even more of them because they're on effectively a discount. So don't worry about it, just keep on plowing into it and don't always be chasing the, the next get rich quick buying properties off plan, buying cryptocurrencies when they become the latest, greatest thing. There's always something that people are trying to promote as, well, everyone should be doing this. Amazon, fulfilled by Amazon thing, that was a massive one for a while, wasn't mm. it? So just don't get distracted by all the shiny objects. Do what you're good at, do what works, and just keep on doing it. Yeah, I think that's really good advice as well. That's the one thing that I've really noticed, especially this last year, is actually little bits accumulate over a year <laughs> like even if you're just putting little bits in little pots you're like oh actually that's all right I can go on that holiday or I can go and do that and I don't need to like feel guilty or worry about it and I think that's the one thing I used to worry about money so much and that's been a yeah. real massive retrain you know I've had to retrain a lot of <laughs> a lot of bad habits and a lot of bad <laughs> bad thinking in my mind and that's one of the things that now I just try and relax a little bit and be like right okay well you know now you've got a plan and I think that's half of it is like if you know you've got a plan even if you're really deep in debt or you're really you know I remember thinking like how the hell am I going to get out of this you know and it did take me about four years five years to pay all of that stuff off but when you've done it oh my god you feel so light I felt so light and then I had I actually had the emergency fund I did start getting good with money at that point and then I had my breakdown I spent my whole emergency fund on my on my health because I was you know but again that was a luxury then because I had it there so my rent was paid even though I wasn't working and you know all that stuff and it was you know and it wasn't a huge pot of money either but it was a buffer and it literally saved me so I do think having something and just having a bit of a plan where you're like okay I know that I can put even if it's 10 pounds or 20 pounds or whatever over time you'll start to see what that's doing and then you'll you'll be like oh maybe I'll put a bit more (laughs) and And that's it I think money for me is just it's effectively time in a different format Mm. so it represents the fact that you've either spent time working in order to be paid that money or you've spent the time investing and leaving it to do its job and in return, you can then change that money for more time. And so you can buy the cleaner that turned up today to clean the house for me. It's just saved me two hours of my life, probably longer, because I'd have to spend ages looking for bleach or whatever. But it's, it's just transferring time from one person to another or from you to future you, because it allows you, when you retire, all you're doing then is buying eight hours a day of your time to stop having to work. And so I think it's, it's a weird way of looking at it, but if you think of it in those terms, every time you tie up some money in something, you're freeing up future time. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. That is, it's like, I don't know, some kind of time machine. (laughs) Money time machine, it's your new book. (laughs) Is there anything else you wanted to share? Anything you wish I'd asked you that I hadn't asked? I mean, looking at the video of me, I'm just wondering why I'm so bright red on this camera. I don't know. I can, we can try in the editing. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't bother, but I just like to point out to everybody, I'm not having a stroke or a heart attack and I'm not bright red normally. <laughs> Other than that, uh, no, I don't think so. Unless I've missed anything. No, I think it's been great. Cool.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and joining me. And thank you for your patience with the tech stuff earlier. So you can get the book, The Money Shot, on Amazon. I know that because that's how I got it. How else do people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you? So the probably the best way to do it is to go to my website which is the epinvestor.com and someone will have to spell that or put a show note thing somewhere Fine, I'll put links underneath. yeah yeah facebook you can stalk me on there but pretty much the ep investor and i've just done a new about me page which is frankly more like a counseling session so <laughs> that might be worth just going to check out to see how insane i am i'm gonna go and check that out now <laughs> yeah it's worth a go Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing your knowledge and I'll see everyone else next week. Thanks for listening. No worries. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about my work through one-to-one sessions, corporate wellbeing, or even coming and joining me on my yoga and sound healing retreats in Morocco, then please check out my website www.welfordwellbeing.com and remember you can always follow me on social media at Welford Wellbeing over on Instagram and Facebook and like, subscribe and share on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube.